Hello everyone, we are back for a sub-episode of Vampire the Chicago Chronicles. This is a Vampire the Chicago Chronicles sub-episode. Sub-episodes are separate stories to the main campaign, focusing on the nightly pursuits and agendas of a single Coterie member, while the events that are about to transpire are disconnected from the main arc of the campaign. They may have consequences in the campaign, and may even affect the unlives of the entire Coterie. Tonight's episode is entitled The Wrath of Sullivan Dane, and focuses on Barry Archer, played by Remy. Hello! Before we begin, our standard disclaimer, Vampire the Masquerade is a dark game of personal horror. You will hear descriptions of gore, depravity, addiction, coercion, and other adult themes. This is not D&D, it is not even Call of Cthulhu. This is a game where we play monsters of the night who do monstrous things. But remember, it is just a game. So, it is currently the night after your run-in with the lucky hunter, Jensen, at Darkwater Security, who managed to slam a stake into your chest and send you into torpor. That bastard. Nearly destroying <laughs> you. And while you did manage to get out alive, you were severely injured. And so, while the rest of your coterie have spent the 24 hours since then uh, putting their ear to the ground, tapping their contacts, trying to learn everything they can about Redwood, everything they can... <clears throat> trying to learn everything they can about Redwood from their contacts, not relishing the opportunity to go into a hunter's bar which which they will probably have to do but in the meantime are desperately trying to put off you have been mostly confined to your room in the haven unable to move normally the day sleep is not a problem for you you, you can wake up during the day sometimes you wake up when it is still light outside and use this time to peacefully go about your business in the haven. But the last 24 hours have been tough for you. Due to your grievous injuries, you have lain for at least the last 18 hours as one of the dead, unable to stir or move unable to feed or comprehend your surroundings. During this time, your coterie and Mercy, who is lying low in your haven, have watched over you, but have been unable to do anything to assist your recovery. Until now, when the day sleep has managed to heal enough of your wounds that your blood is able to rouse once again. And finally, after what seemed to you like an 
like an endless period of blackness, darkness that you were trapped in. You find yourself awakening. Please rouse the blood for me. It's a d10 above six, isn't it? Yep, yep. Uh, that is a nine. I like these dice, I'm going to use them. Do not get a hunger, but your eyes flicker open and your entire body feels stiff, painful, as if you've been hit by a truck and, well, you did have a thick piece of wood slammed through your chest, so it's not too different, I think. (laughs) Groan, pull yourself out of your bed and look at the digital alarm clock on your bedside table. It is 10 past 9 p.m. You have awoken extraordinarily late tonight. Perhaps due to your injuries. The rest of the haven is quiet, silent. It appears that your coterie members are either sequestered in their rooms or are not in at the moment. Perhaps they have decided to hit the streets to try to dig up as much info on Redwood as they can. Is there anything you would like to do? Um, I would like to check on Mercy first. Bring yourself to your feet and painfully shuffle forwards and... You head over to the hidden armory that you've repurposed as Mercy's room. A blow-up mattress has been placed in there with some blankets, and on the floor is a duffel bag containing some of Mercy's clothes. But she is not there right now. The bed looks like it hasn't been slept in. It's been neatly made. The duffel bag is still zipped up. And then you sigh in exasperation as you notice a little piece of paper pinned to the pinned to the wall just above the duffel bag. You grab it, pull it off, and in Mercy's handwriting, you read I can tell you're not used to having living people here. Had to duck out to get some food and toiletries. I'll call you if there's a problem. Fair enough. Um, In that case, I'm just going to make sure that all my weapons have been cleaned and put away. Yep. Uh, Not not that they got used much. Um, And so you're busy. Um, As you prepare your weapons, I'd like you to make a wits awareness check, please. Okay, so that is two plus four, so that is six to rule. Uh, two successes. Two successes. You busy yourself attending to your weaponry. You hope Mercy will be okay and that the threat from Redwood is past. But just the same, you find yourself thinking about her as you start to take the weapons apart, clean them, put them back together, and you wonder if perhaps this wasn't a rash thing that she did to just leave the haven, 
to go get supplies and if she couldn't have just asked one of the other members of the Coterie to go and get these things for her. Strangely, as you're attending to your weapons, you notice that one item appears to be curiously missing. Your switchblade. Oh, Normally you have God. it on your person, but ever since Alexander gave you your claws, you haven't really felt the need to carry it everywhere. When you returned to your haven after the events at Darkwater Security, you simply just tossed it on the floor and it's gone. At this point, outside the armory, you hear your phone vibrating on the bedside table. I swear she's in trouble. I go and answer the phone. You pick up the phone and you see Mercy's name blinking on the screen and you sigh inwardly. You answer it and you hear Mercy gasping on the other side as if she's out of breath and she says, Okay, uh, maybe I should have asked, uh, maybe I should have asked Roger or Alexander to do this for me. Uh, I'm at the corner store, uh, Joe's corner store. It's a couple blocks from the Haven. Uh, so there's some guys here. I think they might be, they might have something to do with the people who've been blackmailing us ever since I entered the store. They've been watching me and one of them tried to attack me. I managed to fight back, but there, you hear a thump and she goes silent. You hear heavy breathing on the other end of the phone for a few seconds and then there's a click and the line goes silent. Uh, I thought we were over this shit for a minute. Um, so whereabouts is the corner store? So Joe's corner store. You've seen it a couple of times when you've been out hunting, but of course you've never had a reason to go in there. It is indeed very close to your haven. Uh, it's within 10 minutes away if you were to drive. Damn, I really should invest in some more celerity. Um. Yeah, I... Leave my rifle, grab my silenced pistol, grab the silvered switchblade. Just in case, indeed. Just in case. Um, and I leave the stake launcher and I make sure that I'm wearing my ballistic vest. And yeah, I'm going to drive to the corner store. Yep. Make sure your ballistic vest is on, and indeed, you're still wearing it under your coat. It's taken a little bit of damage from the stake being forced through, but it's still serviceable. And so you grab your weapons, you head out of the haven, and clamber into your beater that's parked on the driveway outside. The engine roars to life, and you scream out onto the streets. 
driving through the slums of Chicago Southside. Within 10 minutes, you find yourself approaching Joe's Corner Store. It is a single-story brick building situated on the corner of two streets, right next to a tiny park consisting of a row of trees and a bench. A faded billboard hangs above the building and reads Joe's. However, the writing is old, faded. It would have once been a bright purple, but is now faded to a light blue on sun-bleached yellow. As you approach, I'd like you to make a wits awareness check, please. One success. One success. As your car barrels down the street towards the corner store, you notice a single car parked on the curb just outside. The black and white paint job immediately mark it as a Chicago police police vehicle. Indeed, the lights are on, flashing red and blue across the brick wall every two seconds. Okay, I'm going to park my car down the street a bit. Yep. Get out and activate my three obfuscate abilities. Good idea. Uh, So that is a hunger roll. Yep, please rouse the blood. That is a failure. So, one more help. Gonna need to go hunting at some point. Yes, what's your hunger at? Three. Three, yes, you most likely will. (laughs) You park your car in an alleyway across the road and a bit down the street from the corner store. Carefully shut the door and then make your way towards the corner store. And as you approach... You see the glass entryway of the corner store slide open and outstep two men in the uniforms of police officers. Between them, they hold a fold-out stretcher. A white sheet is draped over it and you cannot see the face of the person underneath. It's been covered. This is someone who has died. Um, I've got a mechanical question. Yes. Do we feel it when our touchstone dies, or is, or do we have to actually hear about you it? You have before to hear about it. You do not feel it instinctually. No. So does that mean technically I could? I could have a touchstone, he could die, and then I could never lose humanity for it. As long as you don't know about it, yes. But you would eventually notice that they're missing, so... That's fair. And as you see this... As you see this uh, body bag laid out on the stretcher being wheeled out of the store towards the police cruiser, your heart sinks... As they wheel the body bag, as they wheel the body bag away from the entrance, they approach the cruiser, 
and they stop just in front of it, sitting there on the sidewalk. One of the police officers reaches for the radio on his belt, brings it up, and you hear him, you hear him speak into it. Uh, yes, uh, we've got one stiff, uh, requesting an ambulance, an escort, please, uh, yeah, that's Joe's Corner Store on the corner of 11th and 15th. Yes, yes. Uh, looks like some sort of... Some sort of gangland violence, from what I can tell. Maybe, possibly drug-related. Bullet holes all through the inside of the store. Uh, luckily, the, luckily, the clerk was hiding behind the counter... Uh, but one of the assailants looks to have been slain. Yes, uh, as soon as you can. Thank you. He puts down the radio. The entrance to the store is now unguarded. You could simply make your way in, but you find yourself curious about this body bag. Okay, are the doors open or are they um, automatic doors? They're, they appear to be automatic doors. You see them sliding shut a few seconds after the officers wheel the body bag out. Uh, is there only one cop car? Yes. Okay, so that means that both cop officers are currently outside. Can I try and s- slip through the door yeah, before it sure. fully closes? Uh, make a dex stealth check you may add your three obfuscate dice and i will roll for them uh no (laughs) critical nine successes oh lovely um (laughs) compared to their two successes (laughs) you take one last glance at the officers standing beside the body bag and then you dart through the doors just as they shut behind you. As you enter the store, you can't help but notice a single security camera attached to the wall just above the door as you enter, giving a getting a good look at the one counter at the front of the store and the entrance. Behind, okay. behind the counter... You see a man wearing a green uniform with the logo Joe's stamped onto the breast. He looks quite young, maybe no older than 18 or 19, and he has a look on his face that says he was already annoyed that he was doing the graveyard shift tonight, but is now frightened for his life. His hair is frazzled, his face is pale and he's timidly rearranging things on the counter that look like they were knocked over in some sort of scuffle I'm going to slip up behind him and drop silence of death so I've still got unseen passage and ghost in the machine up yep and I'm just gonna say an easier dead person male or female all right like you to make a deck stealth check with two obfuscate dice. Okay. Three successes. To his two successes. You hear him nervously 
whistling as he starts to rearrange a display a display rack of magazines next to the cash register. Carefully duck under the you carefully duck under the side of the counter, sneak up behind him and whisper in his ear the dead person, male or female. He jumps, raises a hand to his mouth and take this chance to clasp your own hand in front of his mouth, subtly warning him not to make a noise. I'd like you to please make a manipulation intimidation check. Okay. You may add an extra dice because you caught him by surprise. Okay. Uh, that is one success, and I'm not going to use a willpower because I do not want to make that a messy. The man winces, and he tries to get a look over his shoulder to try and see you, and given that all he can see is a strange, nebulous shadow, his face grows paler, his eyes grow even wider, and shaking visibly, he just says, Ugh! A, 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 a man. Okay, good. Now, I do not want to hurt you. You've done nothing wrong. You answer my questions, and you finish your night here, slightly annoyed that someone died in your store. He, he, he shakes, and he says, Okay, I already told everything to the p- police. That's fine. I'm not the police. The woman that was in here and was attacked, did they take her? You feel him nod. He says, there were three men. She didn't see the third one. She saw the first two. They attacked her and his eyes go wide as he remembers. She moved like nothing I've seen before. It was like something out of a superhero movie. She stabbed the one guy in the in the stomach, uh, he, he he fell to the ground. He, he bled out. He, he she killed him, I think. Steve, Oops, sorry. The other guy, she pushed onto the floor, uh, pulled out her phone. She called someone up. A uh, third guy stepped out. Uh, I didn't see what happened then. I ducked under the counter, but when I peeked over, the third guy was carrying her out over his shoulder. Hey, where's the computer connected to the cameras? He says, in the back. I'm going to go look at these cameras. You're not going to say anything. Then I'm going to leave when I have what I want. Any commotion, and there's no guaranteeing you'll come out alive. The man silently nods, and he says, "Uh, okay, sure, sure. Sure. Any password on the computer? He he shrugs. He says, I don't think so. It's always logged in when I... when I clock on. Okay, that's good. Thank you. Now remember, no commotion. He silently nods again and goes back to rearranging the magazines on the counter. And then once they're neat, he pulls them out and starts rearranging them again, obviously trying to desperately occupy himself however he can. You make your way through the store and you notice the walls uh, 
the wall the wall along the left hand side of the store is popped pockmarked with bullet holes fresh there are bits of plaster and debris scattered across the tiles and one of the <clears throat> one of the shelves is askew several packets of potato chips have been knocked out onto the floor as if someone was violently slammed into that shelf and sure enough at the back of the store you see a small you see a nondescript metal door a plaque reading staff only you push it open and it leads into a single cramped office. There's nothing in here other than a metal filing cabinet, a wooden desk and a computer on it. You walk over to the computer and start looking through all of the icons on the desktop to try and find the feed from the camera. Please make an intelligence technology roll. Good. One success. One success. There's about 50 icons scattered across the desktop. Old pay slips, time sheets, saved web pages, rosters and the like. And buried amongst them, you see one that is simply titled newfeed.cam. And you click on it and it opens up the camera feed. You rewind back to about... 30 minutes ago and start to play and you watch as Mercy enters the store, makes her way past the man at the counter, nodding to him and she grabs a basket from the stack near the counter and starts filling it with bags of potato chips, canned food and toiletries as she makes her way through the left most aisle of the store. About five minutes later, the entrance stores slide open and you see three men enter the store. One of them, a short, sort of chubby looking man wearing a leather jacket with the words Honoured Drinks stamped onto the back. My fucking god, of course. The second man wearing cargo pants and a white tank top, looking to be incredibly tall, at least six and a half feet. He scans the shop, looking from left to right as the third man steps past him. This third man looks to be vaguely middle-aged, his head flanked with white hair. He's wearing a long black trench coat, and you see... Around his neck, a long silver chain. Whatever's on the end of it is buried in his trench coat. You can't see it. The second I hope she man, kills the guy with the, I hope she kills the guy with the wife beater on. <laughs> the guy with the <laughs> wife beater looks from left to right, and then he seems to notice Mercy at the end of the aisle. He points to her and says something to the man in the trench coat. The man in the trench coat nods raises a hand, silently barks an order that you can't hear, and then steps into the shadows between the two shelves of the next aisle. 
the man in the wife beater and the honoured drinks jacket approach Mercy. As they approach her, they draw handguns from their belts and aim them at her. She stops where she is. The man in the wife beater, holding his gun towards her, appears to be telling her something. She looks from left to right, and then she shrugs. She tosses the basket full of toiletries at him, and then moving with blinding speed, she rushes towards the man with the honoured drinks jacket as he fires his gun at her, missing her but spraying the wall behind her with bullet holes. She reaches him within a second, and then you see her flick up your switchblade in her right hand and stab it right up into roughly where his lung would be. Ooh, painful way to die, clever girl. She rips it out and the man in the honoured drinks jacket falls to the ground. She turns to the man in the wife beater. He tries to pistol whip her, she dodges. She rushes forwards and slams her shoulder into his stomach, knocking the wind out of him and pushing him into the shelf next to him. He hits it, scatters packets of potato chips over the floor and then sprawls on the tiles. Thinking the coast is clear, she runs to the end of the aisle, reaches into her pocket, pulls out her phone and brings it to her ear. You see her frantically speaking to someone on the other end. You presume it to be you. And then the third man steps out of the shadows behind her. She sees him and she goes to make a movement. He, he, he snatches his hand inside his trench coat and whips out his silver chain. On the end of it, you see a large wooden crucifix. He holds it out in front of her and you see Mercy standing there. She drops the phone on the floor and it clatters underneath the nearby shelf. You see her struggling to move. You see her face screwing up in frustration as she's clearly unable to. The man takes a few steps towards her and then raises his left hand into a fist and brings it down on top of her head, knocking her unconscious. As the man in the white beater slowly climbs to his feet, the third man, the one with the crucifix, lifts Mercy up, slings her over his shoulder, and carries her out of the store. I've... I guess I would have walked past churches before. Yeah, you have. You have. And a lot of churches have... Crucifixes on the them, crucifix and they've them. had no effect on you whatsoever. And indeed, you remember back to your very first night when you were embraced, when Jackie gave you the rundown and told you that most of the time those things don't work. Perhaps this is one of the few times that they do, and you wonder why. That's very interesting. I feel like she would have told me if this had happened to her before. Like, because yeah. she still lives her life and goes around town, so she would have had to have passed a crucifix once or twice yes. since then. So, so this is very interesting. This is very interesting indeed. The feed okay. ends with the police entering and checking the man in the honoured drinks jacket, bringing in a stretcher, 
placing him on it, placing the sheet over him and wheeling it out and then the last thing you see on the feed is you yourself entering through the entering through the shutting doors, nothing more than a glitchy disturbance on screen. Well, uh, the camera doesn't show outside the store at all. Like, there's no, no it doesn't angling. To. Nope. Okay. Uh, in that case, I'm going to make sure that I note down the two survivors' appearances. Uh, actually, all of their appearance. Yep. So, yep. Take note of all three of them. Yep. Um, and then I'm going to leave the store. Yep. Um, find an alley. And I am going to call my criminal contacts. Yes. So you leave the office, make your way back through the ruined store and quickly glance at the man behind the counter who's rearranging the magazines yet again. You notice that the two police are standing outside, their backs turned to you, facing the street. However, they are now standing directly in front of the entrance. And if you exit, they will likely hear the door opening. Is there a back door? There very possibly is. Um, please make an intelligence investigation check. B and two, okay. B five, three. Uh, that is two successes. Turn back the way you came. Head towards the back of the store. Passing by the office, you find another door that ostensibly leads to the toilet block, but no other. So you push open this door, and sure enough. At the end of the corridor, on the right, is a door leading to the toilet, and beyond that is a thick wooden door marked Fire Escape Only. Um, to it and find it unfortunately locked. Okay, I have two points in resources. Would that theoretically allow me to have my wallet and have like $100 notes in my wallet? Yes, it would. Okay, I'm going to go back into the store to the clerk and I'm going to place a hundred dollar bill down in front of him so that it appears in front of him and I'm going to say walk to the doors and offer the officers a drink non-alcohol just a refreshment to him it appears as if the one hundred dollar bill just emerged out of thin air on the counter his eyes go wide again and then he grabs it, stuffs it into his pocket and nods silently. He walks over to the front entrance. The doors slide open and he pokes his head out and you hear him say, uh, officers, I'm just rearranging everything inside now. Uh, it's, it's really sucky that you've had to be called out at this time of night. I couldn't interest you guys in a can of soft drink or something on the house of course the police turn to face him the door is open if you'd like to take this chance to dart out please make a dex stealth check and you may add two of your obfuscate 
I'm going to take that opportunity. Uh, that is six successes. Six successes compared to their four successes. You dart through and one of them briefly looks over his shoulder as if he feels the air as he feels the air disturbed behind him but by the time he looks you're already long gone you make your way down the street and turn into a nearby alleyway there standing in the shadow of a huge green dumpster pull out your phone and dial your criminal contacts and what do you want to ask them i would like to ask them if anyone they know has seen these three people hanging out somewhere and I give them the description of all three. Your contact thinks for a moment and then he says, well, not sure about a guy with the crucifix, but uh, there have been sightings of a man in a wife beater and the honoured drinks jacket uh, it was earlier tonight, see, uh, about maybe 7pm or so, so uh, probably before they had the run-in with your bird. Uh, anyway, they was seen uh, round about, he pauses for a moment, as if he's trying to remember, he says, Ah, oh, yes, right, right, uh, on the uh, south side, uh, on the south side, somewhere in the vicinity of South Lakeshore Drive, one of my boys was in Russell Park doing some dealing there, saw them go by. Now, I'm not sure where they was edited, but you've been in that area before, and if you take a look, you'll probably be able to find a bunch of places where they might hide. Anyway, that's the best I can do. Very much appreciated. If you do catch sight of them again, I would appreciate it if you called me. You got it, says Charlie. He says, by the way, I got an inline on those DVD players I was talking to you about. Talking to you, about. you wouldn't be interested in a couple, would you? You find me more information on where these guys are and I'll buy 20 off you. Oh, he says. Indeed. All right, I'll, I'll put out the feelers, see what I can come up with. He hangs up. The Chicago South Side, indeed. You were there last night when you were at Darkwater Security, but you don't have an intimate knowledge of the area. If you like, you can roll our... And intelligence and let me see what skill would be appropriate for this uh, you can roll an intelligence and streetwise check if you like you know I nearly took some points in streetwise when I was making this character <laughs> and then didn't do it <laughs> uh, so intelligence streetwise okay so that's three the uh, three, three. One success. 
So, in your work for your criminal contacts, you've been this region of the city several times, and you know there are a lot of abandoned warehouses and old uh, decommissioned public buildings and the like that uh, are usually used as either storage places for ill-gotten goods or meet-up points and there are a few that you can think of just gonna put them on the map okay time for me to open up the map uh let's see adding them sorry I okay. forgot to add them but <laughs> I just realised Anarch safe house not, not anymore <laughs> yeah not anymore because the Camarilla are bearing down on them is that where we had our first night with them or was that no 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 that was up west side. that was up in the west side okay so there are three such areas in the vicinity of Russell Park that you can think of the first is an old, run-down apartment building. And as far as you're aware, the criminals in the area give this a wide berth. They don't use it as a meeting point or a place to store anything because, according to your contacts, it is still owned by somebody and whoever owns it occasionally sends people to check to make sure it's not being used by squatters who will forcibly evict anyone they find. The second okay. is an old rail yard that has been out of use since at least the 1960s. It once served as the central train depot for the entire south side, but as the uh, rail network in Chicago has been mostly decommissioned for at least half a century now, this place has simply fallen into ruin. The third is an abandoned fire station on the edge of the district, bordering the south side itself and the port of Chicago Harbour. Some cuts to funding about 10 years ago uh, resulted in several public buildings being decommissioned, and this fire station was one of them. So my choices are horror movie, which is the old apartment building, action movie torture scene, which is oh, the old really yard, and I don't know about the fire station. Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. <sighs> However, one thing does occur to you as you consider these options, and that's a flashback to... Roger and Alexander telling you of their meeting with Walter Nash that he mentioned that his specialty in the city is control of the fire department. That's true, but is it Nash that's... Okay, well that narrows it down to two instead of three. I'm thinking the old apartment building because... Someone who's equipped with something that stops a ghoul 
dead in their tracks has got to be connected somehow. Like, they've got to have a main base operation that is at least semi-permanent. So that could be the old apartment building. The old rail yard is just coincidental that it could be used there. Well, you know that it's secluded and it's out of the way, but those are about the only reasons Mm. why someone would use it. It's not exactly a place that would give you the privacy to do what you wish aside from being out of the way. Yeah, yeah, or keep someone long-term. And then there's the abandoned fire station and remembering that Nash has sway over that. You could give Nash a call if you want to. Yeah, but if I give Nash a call and ask him anything about, hey, do you know who's snatched Mercy, it's going to give away that we know he's working with Redwood. That's correct. Or at least, well, you know, Redwood's threatening him too, but he is still passing on information about other vampires to him. Yeah, but asking him specifically... Yes, probably tip him off. I'm going to try my luck at the old apartment building. All right. I feel like if someone's stopping people from settling in there, there's got to be something to find. You make your way out of the alleyway, cross the road, waiting for a break in the light traffic, and make your way back to your beta car. Open the door, sit down on the driver's seat, and just as you're about to turn the key in the ignition, your phone begins to vibrate again. You lift it up and take a look, and on the screen, it simply says, Number Withheld. I will answer it. Answer it. Place it to your ear. There's a click. And then you hear a voice, a low voice. It says, All right, blank body. I can see you. You can't see me. Do what I say. No one has to get hurt. Are you the Inquisition? He says... Because I don't know anyone that uses the term blank body other than the Inquisition. He says, you think fast. You must have run into us before. He says, yes. I'm Agent Santoro. I'm part of Operation First Light, or what you know as the Second Inquisition. He says, I'm calling you because I feel that we have an opportunity to work together. We both want the same thing. And I will indulge you with a piece of information. Sometimes... Operation First Light is not amiss to cutting deals with blank bodies, to working with them, at least in the interests of catching the bigger fish. Well, you definitely have my attention. He says, the girl in the store, I am assuming she was your retainer. That she was. He says, good. He says, so we weren't wrong. The police took her phone from underneath the shelf. 
your number was the last number she called, and, well, I took a stab in the dark and assumed that you must be her master. The security footage was quite obvious, showed her as, well, if not a blank body herself, at least someone who had ingested blank body blood. He says, so, before I go any further, I will ask you, if we are to meet, do I have your word that you pose me no threat? In return, I will give you my word that I will not harm you or the girl. Deal. He says, very well, tell me. You know of us as the Second Inquisition, but what exactly do you know of that term? That you want to eradicate kindred. Or blank bodies, as you call them. He says, half correct. The Inquisition, or anyone associated, we call ourselves hunters, wish to eradicate your kind, but indeed we don't all use the term blank bodies. He says, you see, your kind sort of think in absolutes. They have applied the term Second Inquisition to refer to any hunter who wants to destroy them, when in actuality, we consider the term only to refer to members of Operation First Light. Not every hunter in the world who knows of the existence of your kind is a member of Operation First Light, and not everyone who wishes to eradicate your kind has the backing of Uncle Sam. It says, so, here's where you come in. I happen to know the identity of the hunter who has your girl, and I'm willing to tell you where he has taken her and what tactics you can expect him to employ against you, but I want something in exchange. Let me get this straight. You're guaranteeing my safety and the safety of Mercy, but you don't have Mercy. No, he says. This hunter is not a member of First Light. He's acting on his own. In fact, he has been acting on his own for quite a while, for decades now, since at least the 1970s. He's an old hand, a legend in hunter circles. In fact, his efforts taking on your kind have predated what you would know as the Second Inquisition. I'm still willing to work with you, but in the future don't guarantee something you don't have the authority to guarantee. Agent Santoro sighs and he says, Well, you're amenable to a... to working with us at least. So, here's what's happening. The hunter in question goes by the name of Sullivan Dane. In his youth, he was a Jesuit priest. In fact, he was part of a sect 
of the church that specifically hunted down kindred, as you call yourselves, and destroyed them. He is one of the very few hunters who I can say possesses true faith. He's been doing this for years, and according to our records, has more than 30 kills to his name. Some of them are, as I understand it, particularly influential and powerful blank bodies. As we understand it, the reason he decided to capture your girl is because of her connection to another blank body who has come up on our files several times. Goes by the name Michael McGee. Sooner I get rid of him, the better. Well, it appears that Sullivan Dane intends to lure Mr. McGee out. He seems oh, to have lost his good. touch, though. He seems to have lost his touch, though, as our resources, or mine specifically, who've been keeping an eye on McGee, have found that he appears to have gone to ground. He's in hiding for some reason, and I really doubt that Sullivan Dane will be able to lure him out, even with the threat of harm to the girl. Yes, he's in hiding because we are trying to get rid of him. That's so, says Agent Santoro, and there's a clear note of surprise on his voice. He says, that is interesting. Well, we will give you a proposal. I will tell you where Sullivan Dane has taken her. I will tell you what to expect. You may go there in McGee's place, negotiate with Dane... If you require assistance, I will be able to assist you either in negotiating with Dane or forcibly taking the girl back. I will do my best to protect both you and her until at least you can return to your place of residence. The thing I ask in return is that Sullivan Dane is kept alive so that we may convince him to help us train the next generation of hunters. What do you say? I think that I can only do my best. If he attacks me, I will defend myself, and I cannot guarantee that he will survive that, but I will do my best to not provoke an attack from him. You could simply incapacitate him. My men and I could come in and do the rest. We are gathered around the location as we speak. Incapacitate him. We will take him in. Convince him to train the next generation of our hunters. And, well, if you would be interested in working with us again, perhaps said hunters would be willing to accept any information you have concerning the big fish of Chicago. I think that after this, you and I definitely need to sit down and exchange notes. You can be a big help with what I have planned. Very well, says Ancient Santoro. 
it gives you the address where Mercy is being held, and indeed it is the old apartment building that you yes. had already decided to head to. <laughs> Agent Santoro says, Ignore the upper floors. Dane has set himself up in the basement, in what was once the boiler room. He has outfitted the entire basement with motion-activated UV lights. His hope is that when McGee enters the area, he will instantly be incapacitated by these lights, allowing Dane to come in and stake him. Dane will be equipped with a stake, but aside from that, he has no weaponry. Indeed, his true fate is his main offence against your kind. When he returned to Chicago, he hired two lackeys from local hunter circles. I believe your girl killed one, but the second man still remains. He is not in the basement, but has been tasked with guarding the, ent guarding the entrances to the apartment building itself. Of course, he's only one man, cannot guard all the entrances at the same time, and so he appears to be doing a loop around the perimeter of the building. It would be fairly easy to sneak up on if you wish to do that, or you could simply sneak past. Either way, my men and I are stationed around the building and will be watching everything you do, so don't give them a reason to consider you a threat. If you can get past the UV lights and find a way to resist Sullivan's true faith, then reaching him and incapacitating him should be a trivial feat. I do not believe he actually intends to harm your girl. For all intents and purposes, she is still human, and Sullivan Dane would not kill a human. However, expect that he will try to make you think that she is in danger, and will try to use that to cow you into obedience. Thank you for the information. Um, do you have one thing, though? One question. You guys wouldn't happen to have any sort of gadget that will put a human to sleep, do you? To use on the guard patrolling outside. I don't... As much... As... Taking him out would be nice after seeing the footage. He hasn't done anything other than do what he's told. Agent Santoro whistles and he says, Hmm. I could arrange to have him removed. But we don't usually deal with humans, let alone fellow hunters. If we do remove him, we shall consider you as owing us a favour. Um, oh, that could potentially come back and bite me in the ass so bad. Indeed. I mean, I could just piss the whip him and knock him out, hopefully. Yeah, you could. You could is that actually, like, is that actually a mechanic? Yes, you or... can do that. Okay, cool. Um, I think it's a bit... Too early to be doing official favours for each other just yet. 
suit yourself? Uh, says Agent oh. Santoro. But. Try to sneak past him or take him out? Your choice. We don't require him alive. Do as you wish with him, but remember, my people are watching. I will remember that. Thank you. Best of luck, blank body, says Agent Santoro. And then there's a click, and the line falls silent. Well, tonight's going to get a lot more interesting. Indeed. I'm going to do something that is incredibly stupid. <laughs> well, you know where you must I'm go. Try and talk. Yes. <laughs> you know where you must go. Is there anything you would like to do before you head to the old apartment building? I'm going to need to eat. I'm going to need to hunt because yes. I can't go into that with three hunger. You could hunt, you could feed from the man who's guarding, but again, they will be watching, so. Yeah. He also didn't do anything too bad. Yeah, he's just doing I know, what he's he, I know he opened fire on Mercy, but he. He was just doing what he was told, and he was told that that wouldn't kill her, so... Well, I'm assuming. Yeah, well, obviously their orders were to take her alive, so... Yeah. Well, your uh, domain is uh, a short distance from here, so going hunting in your domain is definitely something you can do. Yes, I'll, I will go hunting in my domain first, and then head over. Yep. You start the engine and guide the car back out onto the street, drive back into your domain, and once you enter the neighbourhood of run-down, abandoned townhouses, old, empty concrete lots, and decommissioned warehouses, you park your car on the side of the road and get to hunting. I'd like you to please roll a strength Brawl check or a wits streetwise check? Uh, strength brawl. Now that I've leveled that up a touch. Uh, does that affected by hunger as well? Sorry? Uh, yes, that is affected okay. by hunger as well. Uh, two successes. Are you looking for any particular resonance tonight? Um. I might... Uh, what is Celerity's Resonance? Okay, let me check. Yeah, let me check in the book. Resonance. I believe Celerity is... Uh, choleric. Angry, violent, bullying, passionate, or envious. Oh, that also works. I would like to look for someone who is abusing someone. Yep. Alright, so you spend 20 minutes prowling through the domain and you end up being quite lucky. You're walking past, uh, you're creeping past an abandoned lot, an empty square of concrete with the L train tracks running above it, and you hear shouting Hold your money back from me, will ya? You fucking bastard! You ain't gonna walk away from this with your legs intact, you fucking cheapskate! You turn, follow the voice, creep onto the lot, and 
find yourself creeping up towards a man wearing cargo pants and a leather jacket. Another man wearing tattered tracksuit pants and a dirty jacket, his teeth yellowed with nicotine and his eyes bloodshot under the effects of some narcotic cowers in a ball in front of him as the man in the leather jacket kicks and punches him over and over, shouting, I gave you till Monday to give me the fucking money. Then you said you'd have it on Tuesday. I give you Tuesday. I meet you today and you've spent it all on fucking blow. You fucking cheap degenerate, says the man as he delivers another swift kick to the whimpering man's ribs. What's blowing? Ah, uh, cocaine. Okay. Really showing my knowledge of drugs here. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, Barry obviously knows what Blow is. Because, yes. you know, he's given a fair few to his contact, criminal contacts. Um, so I know that if the guy's high on cocaine, he's probably hallucinating and yeah. no one's going to believe him if he sees what happens next. Yeah, entirely possible. I'm going to Silence of Death and Unseen Passage. So, Rouse check, which is a fail, which is okay because I'm about to eat. Yep. Um, and I'm going to walk up and I'm just going to stab this guy through the heart with my hand. Yep, and you've already passed your strength brawl, so I won't get you to roll for that. However, please do a deck stealth with two obfuscate dots. Yep. And four. That is four successes. Four successes to his three. Oh, thank God. You see the man on the ground whimpering. He looks up as he sees a shadowy figure approaching. His eyes go wide. His mouth drops, but he says nothing. As you leap forwards, grapple the man with your left hand and then shove your claws through the back of his neck. You hear him gurgle as he falls limp in your hands, and then you lower him to the ground and begin to feed. Reset your hunger to zero and please add a stain to your humanity. Yeah, okay, so that's two out of four. The man um, on the ground stares up at you, his lip trembling, and he says, I, I, I didn't see nothing. I didn't see nothing. This is a drug-induced hallucination. Get your life clean. This is your conscience speaking. He just nods. Uh, uh, I'm going to throw it all away as soon as I get home, flushing it down the toilet. And then you turn and walk away, leaving the whimpering man there in front of the in front of the mauled dry body of the dealer who you just fed from. Reach your car, climb back in, and start to make the long drive to the apartment building. And you gain an extra dot of celerity. From your choleric resonance. Which is fleetness. Yes. Which uh, adds a celerity rating to user's dice pool for non-combat dexterity tests. 
Yes, yourself. Is that? Is that oh, yeah. Oh means, my god, what? Oh, means <laughs> while being stealthy, you're also moving incredibly fast. Nice. Uh, temp. Let me go. Okay, okay, that that works. <laughs> You make your way. It does, it does. You make your way out of your domain, past the University of Illinois, Chicago, and get onto an on ramp that leads onto Highway 90. And then you settle in for the long drive, letting the highway carry you down to the south side. Get off on South Chicago Avenue and drive through the urban decay that is the south side of Chicago until you reach the old apartment building on the corner of East 83rd Street and East 82nd. Park your... You stop your car at the end of the street and you can see the old apartment building the very end of the road waiting for you. It is surrounded by a series of businesses, a laundromat, a law office, a tax accountant, all of them shut at this time of night, save for the laundry, which proudly proclaims on its sign to be open 24-7. The apartment building towers over all of these businesses, at least three floors high. All of the windows are boarded up, either with sheets of plywood or corrugated iron. Out the front, you can see a brick pathway leading through a surprisingly well-maintained front courtyard. lawn only slightly overgrown, the bushes and trees seemingly having recently been trimmed no more than a couple of weeks ago, to the main entrance of the apartment building. What would you like to do? I would like to just sit in the shadows and wait until the guy doing the rounds comes into view. Yep. You climb out of your car, shut the door, and activate your stealth abilities. Yep, Make that requires way. one stealth check, it uh, does. rouse check. Yep, one rouse Which check. is an immediate failure. Yep, so back to hunger one. <laughs> yep, that's fine. That's where I permanently sit anyway. But you call upon <laughs> the blood to mask you in darkness. You make your way up the street, and then you press against the brick wall that serves as a fence around the apartment lot and sit there waiting in the shadows to see if you can catch a so- catch sight of the lone guard. Please make a wits awareness check. Oh, critical seven. I can only roll six. (laughs) (laughs) Critical seven. Here from the... Here, sticking to the shadows, hugging the brick wall that encircles the lot, you creep around the perimeter of the building and find 
three separate entrances. The entrance at the front, which leads into the reception lobby. A back entrance, which is ostensibly for staff or residents. And according to a faded sign attached to the door, leads to the building's laundromats. And on the second floor, leading out onto a balcony, a fire escape. It can be accessed via a ladder, a ladder that is currently folded up and would need to be grabbed and pulled down to the first floor. You do catch sight of the man in the wife beater, at least six and a half feet tall, slowly making his way around the building. He doesn't appear to stop at any entrance in particular, rather he is walking the perimeter of the building, whistling glancing at each of the entrances as he passes by, but not stopping at them. Well, for what I need to do, I don't... I need him to be out of the question so that he doesn't walk up behind me. I... I'm probably going to regret this, but I'm going to, with my two obfuscate activated... Obfuscate, not obs... Whatever. Um, Just match his pace and then start, like, speed up just a little bit so that I catch up with him and try to pistol whip him in the back of the head. All right. Please make a dex stealth check with two obfuscate dots. And is that with my celerity as well? Uh, Only if you use... Only if you activate fleetness. Oh, right, yeah, it's not a passive, right. Yeah, it's um, not a passive. However, if you just want to mm-hmm. rush up, if you just want to catch him by surprise, get up close to him and pistol whip him, then activating your fleetness might indeed be a good choice. Yeah, may as well try it. Rouse check. That would be another failure. Hunger two already. <laughs> Hunger two already, but I've got... Ten dice to roll. Ooh, nice. Yeah, ten, two. Uh, only five successes, though. Um, five successes compared to his five successes. Okay. You match his pace walking beside him, and then when he turns a corner around the side of the building, you call upon your fleetness. You rush towards him. He doesn't hear the footsteps. He doesn't see anything. All he feels is a rush of air, a rush of air that alerts him. He whips around his hand on the hilt of his gun, but he is too late. Please make a strength melee check, and I will compare it to his, and he will have a penalty dice because he is surprised. Oh, fuck. Uh, I'm going to use a willpower. Go ahead. Do not have a bestial failure. So one willpower used, and... Fuck off! (laughs) What'd you get? Another total failure. Another total failure. I got bestial, then total. You rush towards him and lash out with your claws. His eyes go wide and he 
swerves to the left by sheer luck managing to avoid your blow and then he raises his gun and fires at you bang that is two successes plus two for the pistol and you have your armor you take one point of aggravated damage as the bullet slams into your stomach Jesus Christ I was expecting that to be a lot more then okay uh, well, I want to try and incapacitate him somehow, so... Yep. Uh, strength how or strength... Uh, if you want to hit him with your gun, strength melee. If you want to just take him out with your claws, strength brawl. Uh, can I grapple him and choke him out? Yeah, uh, go ahead. Make a strength brawl check with an extra yeah. dice because of your uh, specialty. That's five. Yay. <laughs> uh, two rolled. I haven't rolled yeah, it yet. Yeah. That's fair enough. Uh, three. Three. I'm going to roll his. He's going yep. to attempt to dodge with his athletics. Yep. That is two successes. So you rush forwards. He attempts to dodge. Gets ready to fire back. Lash out with your claws, slashing his stomach to set him off guard, and then grapple him with your other hand, holding him in place. And now that he's grappled, you want to choke him out, do you? Yeah, I'm just going to choke him out into unconsciousness. Yep. He struggles and squirms. You tighten your arms around his throat. You hear him gasp for breath, and after, after about 60 seconds of struggling, he falls limp. You lower him to the ground. He gasps for breath, but does not move. Please make a wits awareness check. Yes, that is six to roll. Oh, six to roll, six to... Uh, oh, five, six, well, my wits awareness is doing good, at least. <laughs> so that was our five successes, sorry. As you lower the man to the ground, you notice a red pinprick trained on your torso. You stand up and follow it, and you see a shadowy figure aiming a sniper rifle into the lock from the roof of the laundromat next door. The laser sight is trained on you. The sniper Hello. doesn't. Just appear. like I said. <laughs> it appears the sniper is watching to see what you will do to the man, and satisfied that you pose no threat, you see the sniper jerk his gun, and the red laser point moves off your torso. Okay, I am going to return to my car, place my silence pistol and my switchblade in it. Yep. So that I am unarmed. Going to keep the, going to keep the um, no, oh yeah, except for my claws, but I can't exactly take them off. Um, gonna keep my vest on because that would just be dumb. Um, yeah. and I'm gonna walk to the main entrance and drop both of my abilities, which actually both would have dropped anyway as soon as I started making noise and interacting with someone. Yes, and you, you can, did drop your silence of death as soon as the man, as soon as you failed to attack him. That's yeah. correct. And my unseen passage would have dropped as well because yes, and that's yeah, why the, the sniper, sniper was able to yeah. actually aim at you. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm going to keep my fleetness activated, though. Yes, that's a good idea. Oh, actually, no, with what I plan, that doesn't really matter. Uh, I'm, can I look around and see where the first one of these UV... Um, tripwire, uh, not tripwires, but the UV... Uh, perimeter. Not from the outside, but once you get inside and start making your way to the basement, you might be able to see where the motion detectors are. Okay, I'm going to walk in through the main door. Yep. Walk in through the main door into a dusty, abandoned reception lobby. On the left side... Uh, a series of letterboxes for the old residents of this building. The numbers have long since faded away. And beside those, you see a metal door with a picture of a stairwell stamped into the front of it. This must be the basement access. Okay, now I see this door, and before I go to the door, I just say... Oh, fuck, what was his first name? Ah, Sullivan. I remember the Bane bit because I remember Cad Bane. (laughs) Yes. Been watching Star Wars. Uh, Sullivan Bane. Yep. Um, Sullivan Bane. I come in peace. I come with. I come unarmed, except for what I cannot unarm. And I wait to see if there is a response. You wait about. 30 seconds and you get no response. However, I have rolled something for Sullivan Dane. I won't tell you what or what happened or what the result was. Dane, not Dane. I will tell you, however, that he did get six successes on the roll. I'm going to get shot here, aren't I? Um, not necessarily. I will go up and I will knock on the door. Just knock. three quick raps. Walk up to the door and rap once, twice, three times. And then you hear a burst of static as a PA speaker in the corner of the lobby behind the reception counter bursts to life. I am aware that you are there, bloodsucker, says a voice. Enter the basement and meet your fate. I will not negotiate except on my own terms. Okay, that's what I was thinking was going to happen. I respond with, I'm just assuming that he can hear me. I just respond with, as you wish, and I will slowly open the door and slowly enter, making sure I don't make any startling movements. Pull open the door, it creaks as you slowly open it. On the other side, you see a stairwell, narrow, concrete steps that lead straight down into the basement. The shaft is lit by a flickering fluorescent light. You look up and you see the lone light bulb hanging from the roof, humming as it flickers on and off. Is it UV? It is not UV. Okay. At the very bottom of the staircase, you can see an open doorway that leads out into a much larger dark room, presumably the boiler room. 
I would like you to please make a wits investigation check before you climb the stairs. Uh, that's only one success. You see three small black boxes taped to the doorway at the bottom of the stairwell. One on either side and a third one on the top facing down. Perhaps these are the motion detectors. Okay. Um, I am um, quite clearly just hands are out to my side. Um, I'm making sure that the claws were visible so that any camera that he has can see them and I'm just holding them out. Yep, so you're not wearing gloves, just holding your claws out. Yep. And because for some stupid reason, Barry's doing something he is not good at, but feels is probably the best way to approach this. Um, And yeah, I'm going to walk up to the door. Yep. You walk up to the doorway without passing through it, and now that you're this close, you see each of these three devices has a blinking green light on it, and there's what looks like a radio speaker jutting out of the front of each one, and next to it a camera lens. These are obviously some kind of motion detector. The other side of the doorway is pitch blackness. You can see no sign of either Mercy or Sullivan on the other side. Well, he said to walk in because he's not going to negotiate on anyone else's terms, so I'll walk in. Yep. You step across the threshold and as soon as you do you hear a loud click and then a hum as six UV lights burst into life stationed around the boiler room dowsing it in fluorescent in a fluorescent white aura one of them directly in front of you, and as it bursts to life, you raise your hands to cover your eyes as it temporarily blinds you. As your vision adjusts, you lower your hands and find yourself standing in the boiler room. Aside from the UV light in front of you, there are five others stationed in a circle around the room so that they all point towards the entrance. Behind the light, directly in front of you, is a stack of wooden crates arranged end-on-end. Tied to the top of them, lying unconscious, is Mercy. Standing in front of her is Sullivan Dane. His long black trench coat, concealing most of his body, save for his face weathered, wrinkled skin appraising you with eagle eyes and long grey-white hair that comes down past his ears. At this point, your day drinker perk activates. You don't take any damage from the UV lights, but 
Am I at half health? I can't remember if I'm at half health or not. You I can't use any of my abilities. You can't use any of your that. abilities, and you're at half health, which doesn't really okay. mean anything, because you still would yeah. have only had two. Um... Yeah. Okay. Um, but this trap would have definitely killed me if I'd been a full vampire. Yeah, or at least knocked you into... It would have caused you to at least frenzy or put you into torpor. Okay. So UV is not an instantaneous... No, it's not the same as sunlight. Sunlight will just Uh, burn you to death. UV will do aggravated damage like sunlight, but it won't kill you. It'll just send you into torpor. Okay, well, this works then. Sullivan Dane um, steps forwards, his footsteps echoing throughout the open room, and he stares at you, his face grim, neutral, and he says, How is it that you are not incapacitated by the lights, bloodsucker? I'm what they call a thin blood. He looks you up and down. He says, You are not McGee. No, I'm not, and what you have done is just severely upset plans for me to take out McGee. Which I've heard is what you are trying to do, which is why I came here to talk. He smiles, he says, I do not talk with bloodsuckers unless they are incapacitated and strapped to the bed I have prepared. He gestures to his right, and there, in the shadow, in the dimness between two of the UV lights beside the wooden crates where Mercy sits, you see a metal table long enough to contain a human body and laid out on a small... laid out on a small stand in front of it what could only be a series of torture implements, a metal stake... A series of scalpels and knives. What appears to be a tiny little black penlight. And crumpled on the floor beneath it. What appears to be some sort of blanket. Although entirely comprised of a mirrored surface. Okay, that one... Okay, that was interesting. Um... Uh, well, uh, I'm not going to get on the table, um, but I come with knowledge, and as a just, I cannot pronounce this, so sorry, Jesuit, Jesuit, Jesuit priest, yep, Jesuit priest, I'm aware that knowledge is something that you covet highly. He nods. He says, yes, knowledge. Knowledge that will help me to cleanse this blight on Chicago once and for all. I have toiled for nearly 40 years. And yet, no matter how many of you I put down, there are more and more like a hydra. Every time I cut off a head, two more grow. Yes, well, you didn't know how I'm still standing in this light, which means I do have knowledge that you don't. I would like to talk. I come unarmed, except for that which I cannot unarm myself, and I just hold my hand up with the claws. But I give you my vow that I will not attack you, 
unless you attack me first. Please make a composure plus persuasion check. Uh, this, this, this is where my plan can fall apart. So or subterfuge, if you would like to make that instead. Yeah, but I'm not lying, so I don't want to exactly. Yeah, you're not. If you're not lying, persuasion. Yeah, no. Yeah, so I'm just. I've just got three dice to roll then. Composure to maintain your cool. Yes. Uh, oh, three successes. Three successes. I mean, I'm sure he's got more dice to roll, but I will take the three successes of the three dice that I roll. Yeah, Sullivan Dane just smiles. I won't tell you what he rolled. No, that's fair. Takes another step forwards, the footstep echoing throughout the room. He says, I was prepared for McGee. I was prepared to make his last moments on Earth the hell that he deserves for turning away from God, for ceasing to repent and feeding upon the blood of the innocent and weak. He gestures at something behind you. Do you turn to look? As he says, feeding from the blood of the innocent and weak, I will perk up a little bit, and I will also turn. Turn around, and there you see, pressed against the wall, beside the entrance, and wired throughout the entire room, a series of incendiary charges... At least ten of them. Okay. Sullivan Dane reaches into his trench coat pocket. He pulls out a small black remote, the detonator, and he says, As you can see, I am prepared for your kind. So, know that I hold all the cards. Make any I knew move. Walking in. He smiles. Make any move against me, and I press this button. You and I and the girl will go down in a conflagration. He takes a step. As long as you're willing to talk, deal. He takes another step forwards and smiles. Briefly glances over at Mercy. And then he looks at you and he says, Now, tell me about Thin Bloods. Thin Bloods can be made with any number of different attributes. I myself can walk in the sun, which is, I guess, a beneficial attribute, but in turn... I also don't have the traditional teeth of a kindred, and I will show him my normal human-looking teeth. His eyes slightly widen as he sees your normal teeth. Then he brushes a hand in the air and he says, Very well, before I proceed with my interrogation, why have you come here? Why have you arrived and not McGee, who, as I understand it, is the uncle of this girl? 
Is Mercy still unconscious? Yes. Okay. Um, I have come because this girl is a touchstone. But what, um, is, is that what Kindred call them? Yes. Do they actually call them touchstones? Yeah, they call them touchstones. Okay. Um, this girl is my touchstone as well as Mickey McGee's, which means she is important to both of us. She is my touchstone because she was part of a plan to take down Mickey McGee. He says, interesting. I will not pretend to care about power politics between bloodsuckers, but what you're telling me is there is a chance that McGee may still arrive. He says, and furthermore, as I am to understand it, you and McGee are on something of tender hooks. You are his enemy, is that correct? Yes. He smiles. Not fully openly. He but... Sees. It is one of those things that everybody knows, but no one openly admits. Yes. Dane, Dane smiles, a toothy smile. You can see his teeth, a smile of triumph. And he says, ha, then I will have more to offer in exchange to McGee, a touchstone and an enemy. He gestures towards the table. He says, go to the table. If you do not, I will slit the girl's throat. How old are you? How old am I? He says. I fail to see why that matters. I'm gonna guess... 60... 70... 62! He barks at you. So... Active years left you may have, if you keep healthy, 20 years. He says, there are some, especially those of my former order, who, like the girl here, have taken to consuming your vile blood to live and remain active that much longer. I refuse to do so. I am quite prepared for McGee to be my final conquest. If I have to die in the process, so be it. Now, on the table, or the girl dies. He takes a step towards Mercy, and reaching into his trench coat, pulls out a silver knife. It looks like some sort of ceremonial dagger, like something out of a horror movie about cults. She is savable. Don't even pretend that you will kill her. After the month ends, my blood will drain from her body and she will turn back to an innocent human. Please make a composure persuasion check. You may get an extra dice because you've called him on his bluff. Uh... Composure, persuasion, did you say? Yes. Uh, so that's going to be four dice to roll with that extra one. I'm using a willpower. Go ahead. <laughs> that one I don't even need to think about. Um, so that's... <laughs> can I use another willpower or is that the end yeah, of that? you can use as many willpower as you like until you impair yourself. Yeah, I need to use that one because... 
fucking total failures twice in a row. What the hell? <laughs> One success. Sullivan Dane takes another step towards Mercy, but he does not lower the knife. He just continues twirling it in his fingertips. He looks at you, he says, Do not test me, bloodsucker. But he does not threaten her again. You take me out, and you take out the only one of kindred society that is trying to stop people like Mickey McGee surviving. He takes a step back and he says, Very well then, bloodsucker. What is it that you plan to do? I plan, and I haven't told anyone this. So this is the truth. I plan on working my way up to a high position in the Camarilla so that I can be sent to take out the worst of kindred society that are not part of the Camarilla. However, I also plan on building up a group that will work with the Anarchs who will keep a check on the Camarilla. And I will kill the kindred without hesitation that abuse their power and kill too many. He looks at you, he frowns, he says, Camarilla Anarch, you're... Blasphemous terms mean nothing to me, bloodsucker. I guess I have more information to barter with you then, because that is very important information. He says, yes, and the existence of true bloods at least, existence of thin bloods at least, at least informs me that things have changed and I'm not up to date. Very well, he says. You shall have your information. Come, you may check the girl. He takes a step back from Mercy and gestures towards her. I will go and check to make sure that she's still... Uh, girls still breathe, don't they? They do still breathe. Yeah, I'll, I'll go see, make sure she still breathes and... You know, is as healthy as I can tell is as healthy. You walk up to her, you place your fingers on her neck, and you feel her pulse, and she is breathing softly. Are you satisfied that she is alive? Says Dane. I am. He says, now. Information. I care not about the power structure of bloodsuckers. I care only where they gather. I have heard the word Elysium. Tell me, do you know where Elysium is? To know what you are seeking, you need to know about the power structure. Do you know that there is a prince of Chicago? He says, well, of course. There must be a head vampire. And what... Um, organization does he belong to? He brushes his hand through the air. That matters not. All that matters is I destroy him and end this plague. The prince is not the most powerful. He raises an eyebrow. But surely he is the head vampire. He is a puppet as far as I can tell. Sure, he does have power. Those below him do as he 
asks, does he commands, but he is not the most powerful. It is all connections. And who is the most powerful then, pray tell, says Dane. The Council of Primogens. Indeed. So there is not one head vampire, but a council, meaning I have more than one target. You have one t- more than one target, but I assure you, you will not get near any of them. He thinks for a moment, and then he smiles, and he says, Ah, but you are a thin blood, and as such, from what you've told me, at the bottom of the pecking order. Am I correct? Yes, yes and I intend to work my way up. Dur- with a plan that was disrupted with you kidnapping this girl. He says, but I care nothing of your plan. What I do care about is that McGee arrives. When he does, he is incapacitated by my lights, and then I will get all the information I require from someone who is part of that organization. And I have my means. I have my methods, he says. He gestures towards the torture equipment. He says, I'm sure you have your methods. However, Mickey McGee is not in the. What is the Good books at the moment. In fact, he is very close to being excommunicated. He says, which is why someone as low as me can actually make plans to take him out. He says, Yet, if he is so close to being excommunicated, then other bloodsuckers will also be out to come and get him. And look around, I have the incendiary charges, I have the lights, I am more than equipped to capture any bloodsucker who comes to search for McGee. Okay, Uh, let's say a coterie of six bloodsuckers, as you call us, turn up at once. Two, maybe three, are stupid enough to walk into the lights. We know how to use guns. We know how to use grenades. Okay, you counteract that by using your incendiary charges here. You're dead. There's still over a thousand bloodsuckers in this city alone. He just shakes his head and he says, Oh, how you have fallen from the path. Guns! Knives, none of that means anything. I have the power of the Lord. I did see that. That was interesting. Enough talk, he says. Get on the table. I shall take what I need and secure you for McGee. If you will not... I offer you a deal. He stops, and he raises an eyebrow. Work with me. Why? He says. Because I plan on taking out the worst of us. Please. I. Yep. Oh, sorry. No. I can get eventually if this plan comes to fruition. I can get to the higher ups. I can give you openings. I can also, if you ever desire it and decide that your work is not done, once this plan comes to fruition, 
help you live longer to kill more of the worst of us. Please make a manipulation persuasion check. Oh, that's even worse. Okay. One success, yay! One success. So, in Why order did I to, go down this path? In order to dissuade <laughs> Sullivan Dane, you required over all of those checks at least seven successes. Because oh, he, he rolled seven on his insight. Yeah, no, fair got enough. Uh, I think I got five or six. Ah, uh, six. One <laughs> short. Sullivan Dane smiles and he says, You did not listen to me, bloodsucker. I do not work with your kind. Now, on the table, or you will regret it. You notice that he does not threaten mercy again. Fuck. Damn it. Damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it. I didn't come in with a backup. You do have your claws. I do have my claws. You've still got fleetness active if you wanted to just rush no, him. No, I don't. Oh, you don't? Yeah, no, it's yeah turned off. <laughs> yeah, the UV. Yeah, so it's two humans. At least you know he's not a ghoul. If you that could free Mercy, she could possibly help. Do I know of a way to wake her up? I does a drop of blood wake? Yeah, a drop up of like blood does. would wake her up. Was she tied down? Is tied down, but all you'd have to do is slash the ropes with your claws. I'm going. everything. I'm going to attempt to cut the ropes in the same movement that I cut my arm so that I can yep, to drop blood potentially pour her. blood on her face. Yep. yep. As he sees you bear your claws and move towards mercy, he shouts In the name of the Lord halt, bloodsucker! He reaches into his trench coat and rips out a huge wooden crucifix on the end of his silver chain. I would like you to please roll willpower. Okay, uh, how much willpower do I have left? He will be rolling his resolve plus his true faith. Uh, So that means I have... Three willpower left, I believe. Yep, so you may go ahead and roll those. Uh, is hunger part of this? Hunger is not part of this. Okay. Three successes. Three successes, okay. His true faith is four, his resolve is three, so he gets seven dice. (laughs) He got two successes. Are you fucking kidding me? He got two successes. And so, for the briefest moment, you feel your movement halting. You feel... You feel some 
energy, some unknowable, terrible force emanating from the crucifix. A great voice booms in your ears, commanding you to stop, but you grit your teeth and continue walking towards mercy anyway. The crucifix does not halt your movement. However, it does inflict one point of superficial damage. Uh, okay, I'm gonna need to actually write that down. Can I even get superficial damage? I don't know. You can, you can, and you can heal it. Okay, so one... Oh, pardon me, sorry. Although it is simply a wooden crucifix, it seems to glow red hot in Sullivan's hands. And looking at it, seeing that, seeing that bright light burn into your eyes, you feel your skin tremble and hiss as if the air is coalescing around you, burning you in your ears. You hear an unknowable booming voice. Telling you, telling you to burn, to stop, burn in hell as you deserve it. But just as well, you you make it to mercy. You slash the ropes that bind her and cut your arm, holding it above her mouth. Please make a rouse check. That's another fucking failure. Jesus Christ. So hunger three. Yep. A drop of blood drops from your wrist, lands in her mouth. And as soon as it touches her tongue, her eyes burst open. <gasps> she sits bolt upright with a gasp. You see her eyes grow bloodshot. You see the colour leave her skin as the drop of blood is swallowed and begins to make its way into her system. And then I'm going to have her roll for truth, her roll against his true faith with her willpower. Her willpower is four. That is three successes. Wincing in obvious pain, she climbs to her feet, climbs to her feet, stands up off the table and takes one point of aggravated damage as you see large red welts appear on her skin. The two of you stand side by side, gazing at Sullivan Dane and his crucifix, glowing right, glowing white hot. The Lord compels you to stop in your tracks, bloodsucker! He barks. Maybe our path was righteous too. And I'm going to charge him. Charge him, very well. Yeah. And Mercy will as well would like you to please make a strength brawl check. Um, with the words that I said, could I try and, like, make him double think? Uh, like, by saying maybe our path was righteous too? Um, yes, you can, actually. Please make a composure subterfuge check. Yeah, just going by, like, we've succeeded in not being stopped, maybe, you know. Uh, four, three. Fuck it, I'm gonna rouse the blood again. Yep. I gotta add one more. That was a pass! Woo! <laughs> so that becomes five dice to roll. 
And I'm going to spend another willpower. Yep. To re-roll those three that failed. That's another success. So that's three successes. Rouse the blood, causing it to surge through your veins, making your hairs stand on end, your eyes glow bright red as you whisper, perhaps our path was righteous after all. He's going to roll insight, and he rolled eight successes because he quitted. Eight successes. <laughs> yeah, there was no way in hell. <laughs> the Lord commands you to burn in hell, he, whis- he shouts, holding the crucifix above his head. Mercy just grits her teeth, reaches into her pocket, pulls out your switchblade and charges towards him. Please roll a strength brawl check. She will also roll a strength brawl check and she will get an extra dice because of her rapid reflexes. He is going can to I, roll, but because he's I, being... Yep. Can I activate my rapid reflexes as well? Well, well you're going to be light, so you can't. Oh, right. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yep. So you're just a normal human at this yep. point. Um, yep, you can rouse the blood, but that's about it. Uh, one success... I'm not using another willpower because I don't know if he's going to be able to do his fucking truth. Mercy is going to rush towards him. She rolled five successes, critting. Oh! And Sullivan Dane is going to roll against both of you, but this has not come up before, so I'll explain how it works. When someone is defending against two opponents, they have to take their dice pool and split it. Oh, okay. To pass two checks of the same dice pool. So okay. His melee dice pool is seven, so he is going to split it. He's going to devote three to you and four to Mercy. Oh, so he has to crit to beat Mercy. Yes. So three to you. That is three successes. Yeah, that makes sense. And four to Mercy. That is one success. <laughs> so as you both rush towards him, his left hand still holding up the crucifix, he whips his right hand into his cloak, and you hear a metallic shing as he pulls out a broadsword. He swings oh, it towards He swings it towards you as you approach him. And how many successes did you have? It was one, wasn't it? Yeah, one. That's okay, your armor is still in effect. He swings his sword at you and deals one point of aggravated damage. Oh, son of a bitch. Uh, so, so I currently have one point of superficial damage left. Yes, my you are impaired. So one more point of even superficial damage. One point of superficial damage will turn that into aggravated damage and will put yeah. you into torpor. Yeah. He slashes you, cutting your coat and spilling blood from an open wound on your chest. And then he whirls, he sees Mercy coming, he whirls to hit her, but she rams her shoulder into him, causing him to drop his sword and stumble. And then she sticks her switchblade up into his chest, dealing five points of aggravated damage to him. Oh, shit. Because she got... So she got five successes, so four successes plus one from the switchblade. That is five points of aggravated damage 
he gasps. <gasps> she pulls the switchblade out, and as he stands there, stumbling, obviously impaired, she raises the switchblade, ready to slash his throat. Incapacitate, don't kill. You call this out, shouting to her, gasping in pain from your own wounds. Please make a charisma leadership check. Oh, son of a bitch. I am not a leader. Total failure. Total failure. You call out, no, don't kill him. She doesn't, she either doesn't hear you or she ignores you. She runs forward and in a swift motion slashes his throat. He reaches his hand up as blood begins to gush out. He looks at you and mercy, his eyes bloodshot. <coughs> as he silently falls to the ground. A quick question. Yep. Oh, I can't turn people, goddammit. No, you Don't can I'm... try. You can try. Uh, can I, as a thin blood, can I... Can. Normally you need... cat. Well, to get it guaranteed, you need catenating blood. However, you can still attempt it. It will just be at, well, 16th generation, 25% chance of actually working. Fuck it, I want his knowledge, so I'm going to... Can I try and turn him as he's bleeding out? Yep, you can try to embrace him. So you step forwards, and as he's bleeding out, you lean down, swallow his blood as it gushes out of the wound on his neck, until you feel that there is none left. Reset your hunger to zero. Woo! Then make a rouse check, please. You were the one that passed, okay. That's a pass! That's a pass. You then slash your wrist with your claws, hold them above his mouth, and as Mercy watches, she frowns and she says, What are you doing? What are you doing? Giving us an asset, I'll explain later. You drop a drop of blood into his mouth. I'd like you to please roll a D100. You require 25 or below for the embrace to work. Okay, come on. <laughs> 91. 91. The blood drops into his mouth. Nothing happens. His eyes, glassy, stare up unknowingly at you and Mercy. Then you hear a loud smash as the doorway leading to the stairwell is knocked, it bursts open, being flung off its hinges, and you hear someone shout, Secure the room! Secure the room! Blank body! Down on your hands and knees! Now! My fucking god. Yeah, I get down on my hands and knees because I know how close to death I am. Get down on your hands and knees and taking your lead, Mercy does as well as five men in full riot gear burst into the room, scanning from left to right with their rifles. 
Clear! One of them shouts. You hear footsteps echoing across the room and you see a, a man in a form-fitting black dress step down through the doorway. He takes a look at the carnage. He sees you and Mercy down on the ground. He sees Sullivan Dane lying dead. He shakes his head. You hear him sigh. And you hear his footsteps echo as he walks into the middle of the UV light, stands above you, and he says, We meet face to face, blank body. I thought we had an arrangement. Incapacitated, not dead. I tried. As you say this, you hear Mercy groan behind you, and she says, I did it. I'm the one who killed him. The agent looks down at her and he says, Indeed. He says, Is this true? The girl is the one who dug the killing blow. Yes. You see Agent Santoro above you thinking, his lips twisted into a frown places a palm to his forehead just below his just below his black pitch black hair and then he says very well there is a way to make this right he says I will spare you and the girl if you agree that you owe us a favor at some time we may need a blank body insider. And you will be that insider. When we call upon you, you will be there. If you are not there, we will find you, get what we want from you, and destroy you. Is it understood? Yes. Good. He looks over his shoulder makes a hand gesture to one of the other men and he says get the materials are you sure sir says one of the men in the right gear yes barks agent santoro we need them we need dane one of the men in riot gear steps forwards reaches into a duffel bag slung over his shoulder and then you see him hand agent santoro what appears to be a bag of blood. There is a number scrawl. There is a word and a number scrawled on a label on the bag. If you'd like to try and read it, please make a wits investigation check. Okay. That's one success. One success. You glance up at the label as Agent Santoro steps past you and kneels over Dane's body. It reads, blank body blood, ID E45W12. You see Santoro reach into his coat, pull out a small penknife, slice the bag open, and hold while, it. Yep. While he's occupied with that, can I try and stealthily grab the detonator? Yes, you can. 
You'll need to make just a normal deck stealth check as the UV lights are still active. Yep, so that's four plus three. That's... Uh, I'm going to use one more willpower, which is yep. probably going to get me killed eventually. And rouse the blood if you need that. One more willpower. Uh, and rouse the blood. Which was a critical failure. Oh, okay, so hunger. So hunger up. Two. Uh, so does that mean I'll just do yep, you, four you, for this? No, you still get the extra dice, you're just more hungry. No, but I'm using oh, yeah, willpower. Yeah, dice. yeah, yeah. Fucking hell, that's three successes altogether. That is three successes compared to the two successes of the Inquisition agents. You notice they should be watching you, but instead they have their guns trained on mercy and are absentmindedly watching Santoro as he begins to pour blood from the bag into Dame's mouth. Taking you like chance. us to leave so that we don't see any of your secrets? Sorry? I say out loud, do you want us to leave so that we don't see any of your secrets? Santoro just shrugs and he says, hm, what secrets? I already told you we work with blank bodies when we have to and we need Dane and then you take your chance while he's distracted he, as he after he finishes speaking he turns his back to you continues pouring the blood down Dane's mouth and you call upon your blood and in one swift motion you lurch your body forward grab Dane's right hand and snatch the detonator from his dead fingers as you grab it, you hear one of the men shout, Hey! Stop! And suddenly, the men with riot gear have their guns trained on you once more. Santoro looks over his shoulder, and he says, Now, now, blank body, stay where you are, because if you don't do as we say, we will light you up in an instant. I'm not doing anything. They don't seem to notice that you're holding the detonator. You lie there, you're back on the floor, and you watch as Santoro drains the last of the blood in the bag into Sullivan's mouth. There is silence for a few moments, and then suddenly you hear a gasp <gasps> as Sullivan Dane sits bolt upright. He sees Santoro in front of him and his eyes taken over, bloodshot with a hunger frenzy. He opens his mouth and roars, leaping towards Santoro. Santoro dodges back, climbs to his feet, barks an order, and the five men in riot gear run forwards. They're turning their backs to you and Mercy as they run past you. All, as four of them tackle the newly embraced Sullivan Dane, they pull him to the ground, and as he struggles, as he struggles in a hunger frenzy, growling and roaring, the fifth one steps forwards, kneels down, and slams a stake into his chest. As? Yep. 
Sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but it's just... As they're all... Did you say all of them turn their backs yep, to us? Yep, because they've got a subdue... They've got a subdue Dane in his hunger frenzy. I look, I look at Mercy, jerk my head towards the door, and just get up and bolt, and as soon as I'm out of the UV lights, I activate fleetness. Yep. Okay, so please uh, do a dex athletics check. Um, has my fleetness been activated yet? Because I want to know so I can roll the rouse check. Uh, I'll tell you when you get out. Okay. I'll see you okay. get no, out no of the room first. Yep. yep, I just wanted to clarify, that's all. Uh... <laughs> Critical eight. Critical eight. To their oh. five. You and Mercy get up, you grab... Mercy's hand and sprint as fast as you can towards the stairwell. Just as you reach it, Santoro notices you running. He shouts, they're escaping! Two of the men in riot gear turn around as the writhing vampire below them is pacified. They scramble for their weapons, climb to their feet and fire. Bang, 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 bang! However, you're too fast you and Mercy dive into the stairwell and you hear the bullet slam into the concrete wall. You can now activate your fleetness. Yep, I failed my hunger check, uh, Rouse. Yep. But I'm just trying to get up to that steel door that leads yep. down to the basement with Mercy with me and I want to close it, keep running and flick the detonator switch. Ooh, nice. Okay. Uh, please make a dex athletics and you may add your celerity. Five successes. Five successes to there. Four successes. Oh my god. <laughs> your hand still. Mercy's hand still clasped in yours. You rouse your blood, call upon your celerity and run up the entire staircase in what seems like two or three bounds. You hear frenzied footsteps behind you as you see one of the men in riot gear step into the doorway. He aims his gun up the stairs and fires. Bang, 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 bang! None of the bullets hit you, slamming into the grey brick wall as you pull Mercy out into the lobby. Then, running as fast as you can, you sprint towards the front entrance. Hold your arm in front of you to use as a battering ram. Burst out of the front doors and the two of you dive into the grass outside. As soon as you hit the ground, you press your thumb down on the button at the top of the detonator. There is silence for just a second, and then the entire ground beneath you quakes as your ears are filled with a terrible crash. Boom! Behind you, the building rumbles. Plumes of flame surge out of the front door as behind them you see the entire lobby floor collapse. The building begins to tumble. 
And as the flame lashes out, I'd like you to make a willpower check, please. The uh, one. It's one success. One success. <laughs> you wrap your arm around Mercy and dig your face into the dirt as you feel the ground shake again and again. You feel the heat of the flames licking your shoulders above, feeling like it's mere inches away from you. But then, as quickly as it started, the chaos ends. The air grows cool. The ground stops shaking. You open your eyes, climb to your feet, pulling Mercy up with you, and turn around. Where there was once an abandoned apartment building, there is now nothing more than a pile of rubble, bits of brick, wooden foundation, burnt, melting glass scattered across the asphalt. You can hear the crackling of flames somewhere underneath, perhaps in the flaming crater that is now the basement. A huge plume of black smoke rises above the rubble, joining the night sky above, blanketing out the stars. We need to get the fuck out because I know they have snipers. Yep. <laughs> Would you like to activate your obfuscate? Um... Mercy and Mercy can use her rapid reflexes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I'm going to activate Unseen Passage and Silence of Death, which means Arouse Check. But there was another failure, because these Oh, wow, me. Hunger 4. Yep, but I don't care, we need to get the fuck out of here. Yes, you do. Feeling yourself melt into your surroundings, you start making a brisk jog toward brisk jog out of the apartment lot towards where you parked your car. You see the red laser pointer sweep across the courtyard, up the brick road and fixate upon Mercy. Bang! You hear a gun fire as Mercy rushes ahead with her rapid reflexes darting past you. The bullet slams harmlessly into the brick. Oh my god. You sprint after her. Bang! There's another shot. It nearly hits her, just grazing her shoulder. And she continues running down the road. And there she sees your car, the beater parked in the shadows of the, the shadows of the alleyway just beyond the law office. You see her round the corner and hear the, the sound of your car door being pulled open. Round the corner and join her. You see her already seated in the passenger seat of your car. Yep, I activate my rapid reflexes and jump in and try to drive away. Yep. You jump into your car, turn the key in the ignition, and then you hear Mercy gasp. I'd like you to make a wits awareness check, please. Two successes. Two successes. You hear 
something shuffling in the back seat of the car. You turn, turn your gaze to the rearview mirror just in time to see a suited man rising up behind you, a stake clasped in his right hand. Son of a bitch, I just want to stab him in the throat with my hand. Yep. So go ahead, make a strength uh, brawl check. Gain one extra dice because you noticed him. Okay, and I still have fleetness activated. Yes. That's... Oh no, that's only dexterity. Yeah, it's only dexterity. And it's not uh, combat. That's five. Oh, that's right, yeah, not combat. That's five to roll. With four hunger. Two successes. Two successes to his total failure. No! He sees you turn around, raise your claws, and this is enough to scare the crap out of him. His face immediately goes pale, his mouth droops open, and he has just enough time to whisper, Oh, shit! As you leap from the front seat into the back seat, slicing with your claws across his throat, you deal... Uh, so you got two successes, so two yep. plus two, so you deal four points of aggravated damage to him. Slicing his throat open, he gasps for breath as his blood begins to shower you into the front of the car. As I jump back into the front seat of the car, I just say, I just survived the fight of your boss. Fuck off. <laughs> he j- has just enough time to say in response before he slumps over the seat and bleeds bleeds out you turn the key in the ignition and you scream off into the night you keep your wits about you checking the rear view mirror to make sure you're not being followed but you manage to reach highway 90 Safely, You turn up onto the on-ramp, and when you join the procession of... When you join the procession of traffic already making their way through the arteries of Chicago, you breathe a sigh of relief. You slow down to a cruising speed and turn to Mercy. She's looking at you, her eyes wide. She bites her bottom lip looks over her shoulder at the dead Inquisition agent in the back seat, and she says, I want to know what's going on. Only if you promise that next time I give you an order, you follow it. She nods. She says, tell me everything. Who are those people? That priest said that... I was going to be his pretty little bait. Well, first of all, those people are Ash. Who they were, were Second Inquisition. Vampire hunters. Or supernatural hunters. She says, and are they the same people who've been blackmailing us? Mm, Not... Technically? Um, that one... We're not entirely sure yet. Uh, there are people called hunters, but don't technically work. 
for the Second Inquisition, that was what the priest was. Those people that came in second with the actual high-tech gear, they were Second Inquisition. She nods and she says, What does this have to do with my uncle? I've, I've been looking around the haven. There's nothing to do there. I snuck into Roger's room while you were all asleep. He's got this stack of paperwork on his desk. 80 or 90 sheets of paper all stacked together, all compiled, and it's all about my uncle, his holdings, his business ventures, court cases that he's been part of, people who he has as his contacts. She says, and the priest said that I was going to be the pretty little bait that would bring McGee out of hiding. I didn't recognize that name. He simply smiled and said, perhaps you know him as Michael Bordruff. Now, first things first, that was incredibly brave and stupid to go into Roger's room. Um, secondly, uh, your uncle is not your uncle. He is your great grandfather. He is Roger's sire. Her eyes and he's go kind wide. of a dick. Her eyes go wide. He's he's one of you? He's one of us. In fact, he is who created Roger. She bites her lip. That actually and it's his fault a lot. That you're being, and it's his fault that you're being blackmailed and that all this is happening. She says, so, so then if he's one of you, then her mouth opens. She says, my God, the, the people after him, all of those people he used to talk about, this, this Kevin Jackson, this, this Kevin Jackson, this, this Damien, they're vampires nice too. Yes, Damien is actually the sheriff of the Camarilla. They're kind of like the royalty of kindred kind. They're the higher class. Damien is the sheriff. He's actually a nice guy. She thinks for a moment and she says, When we first met, when you saved me from those men, I wasn't sure who to trust. I called my uncle that night, and I asked him what he had to do with this. He said nothing. He said those men had been sent by a rival of his by the name of Marcel. Said they were competing over the same territory. Had they been? I, is that what I discovered, or no? I, you haven't, actually. This is news to you. Yeah, okay. Actually... You did, did know I? that, um, you did know that Roger did say that according to the records he has, there are some things that infringe on Marcel. No, yeah, um, the guys that I followed, the guys that tried to pick her up, were infringing on Marcel's territory. Indeed, they were. Because Marcel went there to wipe them out himself. Indeed, they were. Well, you that's what I've been told, so that's what I tell her. Uh, from my investigations, it was 
McGee that sent them to get you. She just because he knew that I was watching you. She bites her bottom lip again and you see her face go red and then she slams a fist angry on the dash angrily on the dashboard of your car. And she says, That bastard She looks at you, you see tears running down her face. She slams the dashboard again. She says, He he lied about everything. He was never my uncle, and to him I was just... I was just some sort of plaything, something there to... Something there to... Tie him... Tie him to a world that he was no longer part of. She grits her teeth and looks at you and says, Like you. It started off that way. But I have come to be quite fond of you, and you represent to me that none should be controlled. Everyone should be free. She looks at you silently for a moment, her lips pursed. You are are free to leave whenever you want. I've never tried to keep you. If you wish to give up this then I will not force you to keep it. Silently, she nods and she says, my uncle or Mr. McGee, my my ancestor was constantly a force in my life. He dictated where I was allowed to live, where I went to school, who was worthy to be my friends. He said it was all for my own protection. Now I know it was simply for his protection because I was valuable to him as an asset and he didn't want others to corrupt me. She looks at you to despoil me. She says, you have done no such thing and you have given me your blood. She looks at you, and then she smiles, her face grows red, and she says, And there is more. You've shown me a world that I did not imagine exists. And while I was scared of you at first, I'm scared of you no longer. In fact, I... I... She looks away. I think I have feelings for you. this point your heart sinks and you realize why she is saying this tonight you fed her the second dose of blood a second dose of blood within weeks of the first and you realize what has happened she is starting to become bloodbound to you ah. Please add a stain. Oh, damn it! <laughs> oh, lovely. Okay. Okay, 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 okay. Um. 
It, that's not permanent, is it? No. The stain. No, I know how get. long. That... Oh, blood no, 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 bond. No, you just know that. Stain, if, sorry, the, you just know that if you don't feed her blood in a while, um, it will decrease. At the moment, she has enough blood to remain a ghoul for two months now. So she has two rouse checks worth of blood in her. So possibly if you don't feed her blood for at least two months, it may dissipate. Okay. But you, um, you don't know for sure. You'd have to ask somebody who knows. Possibly yeah. Alexander. Yeah. Um, that's... <sighs> that's great. Yeah, but uh, let's see if you still feel that way after what comes next. And I will tell her of the Coterie's plan to take down McGee and Nash. As you drive, as the cars speed past and the sights of the city move by beyond the highway barrier... You tell her of the Coterie's plans. She listens with bated breath. At the end, she simply nods. She looks away and she says, I didn't think it would be so soon, but perhaps once he is gone, that will free me from his control once and for all. And then she looks back at you, then we will be free, you and I, to live our lives as we wish, together. Yes. You simply nod, acknowledge her, turn back to the wheel. The rest of the drive is in silence as you contemplate what to do with mercy, how to handle this situation going forward, whether it is worth embracing the blood bond, turning her into your thrall, but destroying a touchstone, or if your humanity is important enough to you that you will allow this blood bond to dissipate, allow mercy to make her own choices in life. When you return to your haven, it is just after one in the morning. It has been a long night. A lot has happened. As soon as you arrive, Mercy immediately gets out. She gives one last look at you before she makes her way back into the haven, disappearing into the darkness beyond the threshold of the front door. Before you exit the car, take a few moments to clean up the mess in the back. The majority of the blood has dried, melted into the upholstery, but some of it is still fresh, and so you drain what is left in the corpse. You may reset your hunger to two. Mm. That's still two better than what it's at. Mm. You remove the corpse from the back of your car, carry him to a large green dumpster at the end of the street pressed up against a concrete pillar under the overpass and dump him in and then when you return to your vehicle 
You find something left behind in the back seat of your car. A black briefcase inserted under your front seat, presumably placed there by the Inquisition agent. Curiosity overtakes you. You take it out, place it on the boot of your car, and flick it open. You smile as you see what is inside. Stakes of all different sizes and shapes, at least five of them, a large one, two regular sized one, a tiny small one, and a fifth one with a silver with a silver tip. A set of scalpels and knives and folded up in the top of the briefcase a reflective blanket similar to the one that Sullivan Dane had. You take it and you unfurl it and as you unfurl it you realise what it is. One side is almost entirely reflective. The other side is covered in blue plastic. This is for wrapping over a subdued kindred. The reflective surface would make the heat underneath the blanket increase and slowly intensify, torturing the kindred underneath with unbearable heat. This is a set of kindred torture equipment. And as you take it, as you close the brief as you close the briefcase, shut the back door of your car and make your way towards the haven. You smile, but you can't help but feel that you'll have a use for this equipment very soon. That concludes this session. As you retire for the night, you may make a check to see if you heal any of your aggravated damage. Uh, yeah, let's see. I have two stamina, so let's roll two, shall we? One success. One success, so back to... Three. Back to three. (laughs) And any superficial damage you have heals, because it is the end of the session. In addition, you now have a set of kindred torture equipment to place in your armory. It includes knives, scalpels, a set of stakes, one of them silver-tipped, and a heat-intensifying blanket. In addition, in your armory, you already have a couple of UV flashlights. And so... You feel that when the time comes, when finally Walter Nash and McGee have been caught, you will be able to make good on Sullivan Dane's plan, make their final moments a hell that they should have been sent to a long time ago. You gain two experience points and how is your humanity track looking? Still any um, blank spaces I left? Have... Yeah, I have one blank space. Okay, okay, so we will not do a remorse check. Very well. 
that concludes the episode. But, but, mm-hmm. as you find yourself retiring to bed that night, far earlier than usual, 2 a.m., as the exhaustion and the pain from your unhealed wounds begin to take over, you collapse onto your bed. And as you feel the day sleep coming, you hear your phone beep on your bedside table. You reach over, grab it, hold it above you, squinting your eyes to try to make it make out the words on the glowing screen. It is a message from a withheld number. It simply reads, I take that as an acceptance of our deal. We will be in touch, blank body. The big fish are still out there. What? As you sink away into day sleep, your last thoughts are of confusion, puzzlement. How could they possibly have survived? I nuked the building! You did. And I just got a text from him. From that number, anyway. Oh, God. I knew it wasn't gonna... I knew that wasn't gonna solve my problems, but fuck, it was awesome. It was. (laughs) As you sigh... Angry that somehow... Some way... They apparently survived. Your phone beeps again. Beep, beep. Fuck's sake. Yeah. It simply says, Don't worry. Agent Santoro is no more. I am like you. We will be good. We will be good partners. I've been wanting to get at the Camarilla for a while. Okay. I like where this is going. I like where this is going. Um. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I um. Phone beeps once more, just before unconsciousness takes you over. An image flashes up on the screen. You recognise it. The Thin Blood Clan symbol. Would you like? (laughs) And so you may add to your character sheet an ally, a three-dot ally, simply titled Inquisition. Okay. Okay, uh, Allies, Inquisition. Okay, yeah, three, three dots. dots. And there okay. we go. <laughs> I'd like to thank everyone who stopped by and listened. That was a very awesome climax. Yes, you thank saw, you everyone for joining me yeah, blowing up the building. You saw Barry Archer fighting his way out of an Inquisition building and detonating an entire squad of hunters. Destroying them in fiery death. Wonder what my kill count is now. <laughs> and somehow, <laughs> somehow, in the destruction 
of Agent Santoro and his men, you have found another potential ally in the Inquisition. One who seems to share the same goals as you, at least for the time being. Someone who wants to go after the big fish, the Camarilla, and is prepared to command their Inquisition resources to assist you in this goal. We will be back next week, everyone, for the next session of the main campaign. And after what happens tonight, it's going to be interesting, let me say that much. As <laughs> place exactly yeah, one I, night I'm, after this sub-episode. I'm fed up. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm definitely caused some changes. You have, yes. I want to thank Remy for a fun session. <laughs> thank you. And... Until we see you again next week, everyone, never cut a deal with the Inquisition. Yeah, no, it's a bad time. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Bye, everyone. <laughs>